0: Hello and welcome to another edition of the Parramatta Podcast. Uh, this week Hamish is on holidays, a well-earned rest for our glorious leader. So he's left um, the podcast up to the free musketeers, as it were. So I'm joined today by uh,
1: Ham. Yep.
0: How you doing, mate?
1: I'm I'm uh, surprised. I'm not usually first off. Cab of uh, Florence,
0: I'm so. doing. I'm mixing things up, maybe.
1: You, you got me. You got me there. I was I was staring off into <laughs> what I'm going to talk about.
0: just thinking philosophically about life and football. Um, no, but
1: Not live football. <laughs> <laughs>
0: football and, um, is life. And as the adage goes, last but certainly not least, Bertie, how you doing, brother? Lemon party. <laughs> <laughs> we are ready to roll, Van. Lemon party. Yes. <laughs> it's an inside joke. All we right. Just... Well, I'm... Um, 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 <laughs> And by inside joke, we mean a, a, a joke for one member of the podcast, but it's now an inside joke for the podcast.
2: Yeah, everyone but, start tweeting out Lemon Party, all <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> um, I'm, not, I'm not actually up to date with what episode we are. It's over 100, because Hamish always um, bangs them out. Is anyone off the top of the head what episode it is for the Parrot Podcast? I uh,
1: wouldn't have a no clue. <laughs> well, how long are we gone now? Two years? Yeah, so it, we we're Let's over... Let's say... 107.
0: 107, okay. This is the um, officially unofficial 107th episode of the Power Podcast.
2: Uh, Technically, it's uh, 117, 117.
0: Okay, 117, there you go.
2: So, how, did we make, how did we get past one without being sued?
0: No cease and desist yet, baby. We're yeah. killing
1: it. It's because no one listens. <laughs> <laughs> I don't
2: know about I've got a, couple, got a couple of followers during the week. got to change my name and everything. <laughs> oh, I, I saw that. They
1: want more Birdie.
2: Yeah, Birdie Beetle.
0: The Birdie Beetle. All right, let's get into business. Week one of the finals is in the books. And among the four games played, the Parramatta traveled up. They traveled north, not south, up to um, Sunny Suncorp where they played the Melbourne Storm. They lost 36-24. to Uh, So try-scorers in that game for Parramatta. Nathan Brown, first try-scorer. I don't think we tipped him in the the preview last week, but well done the Brownie. He was joined by Quentin Garfusson, Blake Ferguson, and Sean Lane. Mitchell Moses was perfect off the boot Uh, for Melbourne. Siliasi Vinavalu scored their first try, followed by Ryan Pappenhusen, who nabbed the double, alongside Josh Adokar, Jesse Bromwich, and Branko Lee. Like uh, Mitchell Moses, Cameron Smith was perfect off the kicking tee, and those uh, <clears throat> 12 points proven the difference. So as far as team stats are concerned, uh, Melbourne Storm dominated possession and time of possession, and, you know, a shock to no one, given when you do not dominate one, you sort of dominate the other. 57-43 is a split for possession, 29-46 to 22-27, the time of possession differences. Um, the Eels actually completed more sets and had more sets than Melbourne, leading to a weird sort of... Um, statistical anomaly here so paramount's 79 completion rate was 33 from 30, 33 from 42 sets to melbourne's 73 percent completion rate uh which was 30 of 41 so obviously penalties uh set restarts and all those sort of things been a huge factor there in the difference in the possession and time possession splits
1: oh well, you know why because our six agains come on the first
0: well that that's going to be going to be a, a point of discussion i think the old um set restarts But um, as you may expect, given that Melbourne dominated possession and time possession, they uh, were ahead in every major uh, attacking key indicator. That includes runs, all runs, post-contact meters, line breaks, tackle breaks, average set distance and kick return meters. Uh, Their play-to-ball speed was 0.3 of a second faster than Parramatta's, or 0.31 to be precise. 3.36 seconds play-to-ball versus 3.67. And then moving on, Parramatta actually had more offloads, which isn't a surprise given their more expensive game plan. Uh, Parramatta had more kicks and more kick meters. Um, obviously, they were forced to clear the ball more, whereas Melbourne scored a couple more tries. Um, both teams did not diffuse kicks very well at 50% apiece. Um, and defensively, they were, uh, Melbourne Storm slightly edged out the Eels, 88.9% tackling effectiveness versus Parramatta's 85%. Uh, the Storm missed less tackles, 18-34, and um, barely made less ineffective tackles, interestingly enough, 17-23. Uh, in terms of negative plays, the Eels made less errors, 11-14. They conceded six penalties to Melbourne's five. And they gave away the same amount of ruck infringements, but not all ruck infringements are equal. Which, like we said before, will be a point of discussion today.
1: Yeah, we've got to look at the the context of each. That's right. You if can't just look at the. about. It's always
0: the box score is thing. what everyone rattles out, but you got to look at yeah. the context, the story of the stats, as it were. All right, fellas, take it away for me. What was the um the big breakaways initially, or big takeaways, not breakaways, from that loss?
1: I think the one positive, and we can really rely on it, was the start of the game. We set the tone. Mm-hmm. We set the tempo of the game, which I, I don't think ever happens against Melbourne, especially in a finals game, is that the opposition comes up and sets the tone. It was just through uh, dumb errors, concentration errors, that we allowed them back into the game. And then that 10 or so minute period, or maybe let's say 15-minute period after half time where Melbourne just broke us apart. I know they were, I know they were uh, making line breaks and everything earlier on, but I thought our scramble covered them, whereas this time the speed of their play was just—it was too quick for us. And
0: that was obviously influenced by stuff that happened in the course of the game. Parramatta, um, you know, clearly didn't have a <laughs> the backline that they'd set out to have throughout the course of the game, um, on the back of a number of injuries and substitutions that were enforced. But yeah, I think you raised a good point there. Parramatta's start was something we spoke about in the podcast last week, and um, we know that Melbourne blitzed us in round two of the finals last year, and that really rocked us on our ass, and we sort of didn't recover. Whereas we were the ones, like you said, ham hey, setting the tone this week. And it was very, well, last week, rather. And it was really encouraging. Um, we had a, a game plan to attack decisively, um, to get wide and, and really test the Melbourne Storm edge defense. And unfortunately, you know, like you said, that, there's that period just before half time and then that period just after half time where the game got away from us.
2: Yeah.
1: And I think once, when Junior and Campbell Gillard were on, we were, we were making so many meters, both in their first and second stints. Like, I don't think when we actually held the ball, we weren't having a problem making metres out of our own end. It was just the fact that there was a 10, 15-minute period where Melbourne dominated possession, dominated the penalties, dominated six against, which is where we lost it. If, if say, you know sliding door moments, um, we had a, a set of six on Melbourne's line, Michael Jennings is picked up by Addo Carr, goes to offload and knocks it on. You know, if we were up 12-0 at that time, say we hold on to that set, Go, going off what we'd done previously and what we did after that, we would have scored that set at some mm-hmm. point because every time we got up their end, we just seemed to score a try. So, you know, based on that, I would have scored going up 18-0 against the Storm, even if they had one try-in, going up 18-6 and a half-time against the Storm yeah. with all the running, that would have been
0: I, massive. I, I do agree. But I think that window where Melbourne equalised the score at 12 or and we missed that opportunity to, you know, go – maybe eighteen o or eighteen six up was um pretty big. And I think that's where the sort of the fight back really happened for Melbourne. Bertie, what did you see from that uh, that game, in particular that opening? Like, how do you think the opening uh, sort of stands where we, we got out to the lead and then followed by that little uh, break sort of that let Melbourne back in? How do you see that period of play?
2: I think it was great. Like, you know, the media has said we've, we're down on confidence, um, we're not the same, but you look at the team, they were up and above, they were celebrating everything, like every drop ball, every error the Storm made. I just thought... We started off too well. And let's well, not say too well. We started off the perfect start we could. And it's just unfortunate, like, um, that type of football, like, unless you've got a massive crowd behind you or you don't do as much tackling, you can't keep up that effort. And I just want to say, speed kills in this game, right? And mm-hmm. I, I'm going to drop some harsh bombs, but I think we are a too slow football team. When you look at our squad, who are our, who are our fastest players? Our halves and Wonga Blake to a degree. Like, Jenko's quick, but he's not, like if you break the game open, like if he gets through
0: the whole, Janko, Janko's off shifty, off. not fast
2: these yeah. days. Yeah. But then you look at, you, cause you look at the storm, like Pappenhausen, oh my God, like his speed, like <laughs> Vinavalu, just an out of car. Like, I just feel as though, and this could be like a topic later on in the off season or future. Like we need a, cause Virgo not going to run around you. He, it, like Sivo and Virgo's game plan is just to run through barge and charge. And, you know, we are talking about earlier um, during the week about semi, like how Sivo, we thought Sivo could be similar to, um, to semi, but, Semmy was Semi's a completely different player. He could beat you three different ways, you know, and I'm not trying to shit-talk Sivo, but it's just, I just noticed that game, how much quicker they are, their backline are compared to ours, and you just look at, it, like, one one kick we did to uh, Vinavalu, like, he links up with Pappenhausen. Pappenhausen goes through a hole, and literally he sprints 50 yards. It's just...
0: Mm. No, you, you uh, preempted a point of discussion I was going to bring up perfectly, Bertie, in that the, the speed of Melbourne's attack was really brutal. They, they really came at Mitchell Moses... Um, with a lot of pace on, on, the, on their left edge, our right edge. They um, attacked like, viciously with Pappenhusen and Addo Carr. Um, they really went after Blake Ferguson down our right edge as well. So yeah, the, the value of speed was put on full display on Saturday night. And it's certainly an area in the roster that the Eels could afford to explore. Because um, like you said, Blake Ferguson and Mike Casivo, both very talented players in their own rights. And you know they've had their struggles across 2020 for various reasons between injuries and form. But yeah, they're certainly not outright, outright speedsters. And when you factor in that Quinton Gufferson himself, as fantastic a player as he is, and he is the heartbeat of his team, and I'm, this is not me advocating for us to move on from Quinton Gufferson, but mm. the, the one criticism of his game is that, be it through injuries and just you know outright uh, normal, uh, natural athleticism, he hasn't got the top-end speed of the other elite fullbacks. Now, he makes up for that with his insane work rate and all the other aspects of his game that he's honed to be such a well-rounded player. But when none of your back three have got that uh, sort of you know, Nitros, you know, that X factor of the speed, it certainly does limit your ability to game plan offensively.
1: Yeah, I, just speaking of game plan, like game plan defensively, I thought we negated as Melbourne speed as much as you possibly can. Like our front on contact while disappointing given they made 11 uh, line breaks. They didn't score 11 tries off those 11 line breaks. Our scramble and the way that we, I thought mentally and like tactically, the way we played was very good to Prevent those line breaks from becoming um, scoring opportunities on that play.
0: Yeah, you know I, I mean, I mean the, te- the the team turned up on Saturday night and they were obviously desperate to win. They they didn't they, well, well, I'll bring this up now, but in the corresponding game, well, well, not perfectly corresponding, but <laughs> the finals week two of 2019, Parramatta Eagles travelled down to Melbourne after opening up a count of whoop ass in the Broncos and winning 58 0 at Bankwest in week one. They go to they go to that game and. They get absolutely rocked in in week uh, week two of the finals. Now, if I just go pull this up quickly, uh, going backwards in the finals, finals week two, the possession splits in that game, and this is this is not like a, an error or anything like that. Fifty seven to forty three. Melbourne Storm had the exact same possession split last year in the game that they absolutely kicked us off the park as the game they did this year, where they you know clawed their way to a victory over us. The time of possession twenty nine twelve to twenty two oh one. In comparison, if I go back to the game this year, was 29:46 to 22:27. So you're talking a 20 seconds difference, either way, in time of possession. So this is the same game from a blueprint perspective, yet the Eels turned up and made it a real contest right to the death. So the boys deserve plenty of credit for that. I know that the fact that we didn't win hurts. And you know, in the coming out of that game banged up the way we did is absolutely awful. But this is not a game where they rolled over. And there was a bit of talk... Um, you know, around the around the traps about how the eels aren't narrowing the gap with the top teams, but how can you look at these two results and not tell me that the parameterials haven't narrowed the margin?
1: Yeah, because like, I think a lot of people what they'll do is, and especially those in the media, will watch a highlights package which is edited together by their editors, and they'll see all these fantastic Melbourne tries. But and Mel-
0: Melbourne played things. really well. Like let, let's not discredit yeah. the Storm. Obviously, I'm going to have a a real complaint about some of the tactics and and in particular the certain manipulation of an injury rule. But, you know, in terms of flaunt attacking footy, that was some fantastic stuff.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing. Parramatta, as as much as we tried, tried to repel it, but we just don't have the big game experience like Melbourne do.
0: And not like, not on 43% possession. You know, No. You, you, you have to play perfectly to beat the Melbourne Storm on that sort of possession split. And the Eels played really, really well, but they didn't play perfectly.
1: No. You look like, uh, just quickly, a Car Munster. Cameron Smith is enough for, like, five players in terms of rep experience
0: <laughs> he, <he's laughs> a,
1: it's true yeah. when you when you hey, factor
0: like, in australia and calm um, state of origin he is well more, well more than five like decent rep players in that regard in terms of experience
1: and then christian welch felice kafusi Ken, kenny bromwich Sofa Zolomona brandon smith they're all t1 rep players
0: mm-hmm. i mean and tino fasa muliali who's leaving them is on that caliber of player too
1: Oh, 100%. He'll, he'll be playing for Queensland very, very soon. And you got, look at us and, you know, Jenko's a former. So I just think a little bit of more big game experience and a few less concentration errors. I think we would have. And time in possession, too. I think doesn't even, probably don't even need that. Time in possession. If, and if this, if the and injuries, things are flipped, <laughs> I think the scores flipped.
0: Yeah, most likely. I mean, Melbourne obviously would defend, you know, to the death when they had uh, less ball. But like you said, when you, you swing possession, you're talking about a nearly 40% swing in possession, you know, uh, sort of going uh, 20 points either way. Um, it's huge. So, th-
1: when Melbourne scored their three tries in seven minutes, I don't think we touched the ball.
0: No, they went they went bang, bang, bang. And this has been an, an issue for Parramatta we've talked about in the past when, you know, the odds do go against us in some regards. We haven't been able to, to stimmy the, blum, the bleeding there. And that was that happened on say that it was real unfortunate that it did because it allowed Melbourne to kick out to that lead. So they, they, I,
1: I think you know I don't think we had a, a five or seven minute period where we had no. um, consecutive sets whether That's it right. be tries or through six against and penalties. So if we had a period of that, who's to say that Parramatta don't say get a, a fourth tackled six again for getting up and having a cry. (laughs)
0: Uh, (laughs) Which unfortunately was very much the case a number of times throughout the course of that game. There was one moment where Mitchell Moses cut down his opposite, well, his number six rather than number seven, but cut down Cameron Munster with a a, just a regulation grass-cutter fire tackle. And, you know, it was all fine. He lets him get up and play the ball, and Munster literally just looks around and says, where's my six again? This was on fourth tackle, and he got his six again.
1: Yeah, and then... (laughs) <laughs> on that ensuing set Melbourne score and then you have that <sighs> Greg Alexander in the commentary box saying Parramatta just can't keep up with the Melbourne Storm at the moment. Well
0: Well every time I try to compete in the ruck what happens?
1: Yeah, and I, I, I said it in the in the preview pod. We don't wrestle. So when we do try and wrestle because the referees have their tip sheets that say Parramatta don't wrestle, we get penalized for it. Whereas the Storm I know they wrestle. Yeah. So they're allowed
0: to wrestle. We they're allowed to
1: do it a lot more.
0: Now, you're not wrong, but that wasn't the only handicap the Eels had on Saturday night. Um, starting with Mike Sivo re-injuring his MCL. We also had Blake Ferguson uh, having, it's undisclosed what he did exactly to his knee, but it was labeled as a, a flare-up of existing or pre-existing knee conditions. Um, so they both departed the game in the first and second half, respectively. And in between then, the man that replaced Sivo uh, in the big back line reshuffle initially, Andrew Davey, got concussed. So the Eels went through at least three different iterations of the back line that game because you had the base back line. You had Davey coming into left center, which then pushed uh, Jenko to right center and Wunga Blake to the wing. Then you had Andrew Davey get concussed, which led to Sean Lane playing center for a period. Is that correct?
1: I know Dill was defending at center. Yeah. So he had – I think I, th- I think the setup was Lane second row, Davey half, Dill center. Dill center defensively. Defensive,
0: defensively, obviously, yeah. And then – Davey gets concussed shortly after that, leading to Will Smith coming on. Am I, am I correct in saying this? Will Smith came on later in the second half. So, yeah. in between then, they've they've managed another reshuffle. Then I Fer- think Murata was playing cent- uh, center. Probably, one probably one. yes.
2: Yeah, he was. Yeah.
0: And then in the second half, Blake Ferguson does his knee. So then you have Will Smith playing left center, and the um you got Janko right center, Wanga uh, left wing, and no, Janko went to right wing and. It was just very confusing. Like, I'm legitimately trying to think of who's, who's in the back line at this point.
2: I know Jenko went to right center. He
0: was eventually. right center of, uh, like on the first swap, but then yeah. you had both wings get hurt. So you had who, who was this is actually crazy. Who who was playing where? You had Wanga on one wing. You had.
1: He was left wing.
0: Yeah, left wing. And then you had Will Smith and I presume Murata in the centers. So Jenko must have been on the right wing. So At,
1: after Ferguson went after off, Ferguson went off
0: yeah so that to say the eels were undermanned in the back line and disrupted is probably underselling it so um that was a handicap and a half and that certainly I mean not to say that our our defense out wide has been pristine by any means throughout the year um obviously our edge has been problematic for a number of games but <laughs> you go from problematic to you know three different iterations later of problematic and that's a pretty big um issue for the eels so they managed to battle for about and make it a 12-point game, so credit to the boys. But the controversy didn't end there for the Eels. Um, late in the game, with four to five minutes left on the clock, they're attacking downfield. Um, actually got Melbourne like pushing backwards and backpedaling pretty significantly in this set. And time is called off for an injury. And, you know, fair enough. But on reflection, it turns out that Suliasiv had a cramp. And not only did he have a cramp, but the trainer had signaled time off before he'd even gotten a Vunavalu, which is a, a big no-no in terms of protocols. <clears throat> so... Caused a big stink in the game, and Quentin Gufferson blew up to Ashley Klein in the course of the game, saying you're stopping you know the game for a cramp. And Klein acknowledged that it was a cramp, but once the trainer signals, he can't do much. And and defensive Klein, who I very rarely ever defend, that is actually how protocol goes. So he wasn't in the wrong there. But it's another case of Melbourne, you know, uh, pushing the rules to the absolute limits, and in this case, evidently cheating. And you know they're such a good team at, at pushing the envelope, so it's frustrating. But um, as it turns out, Graham Annesley launched an investigation into it on Monday. And, uh, Bertie, have you heard the news yet? What news? About the, the results of the investigation?
2: No, what happened? All
0: right. Oh, uh, well, oh, Ham, bit... Ham, Ham and I know the results, so we're going to play a game. How much <laughs> do you think the Melbourne Storm will find for cheating the, the injury protocols?
2: Oh, $1,000 and 800 suspended?
0: No, that's actually like a, a pretty good guess, considering $10,000. So. $10, $10,000? Oh, she's oh,
2: Storm can't it's going to be a big dent in the Storm pockets for that one.
0: And really, my like- issue here is like when when we were talking about this initially, I I was hoping the NRL would put uh, their foot in the ground and make an example, saying you know even if they end up suspending it, it's a hundred thousand dollar fine with you know eighty thousand dollars suspended, but mm. you know make a, a example of this not to manipulate the injury rules, but instead once again they get the slap on the wrist, and it's no wonder that the Storm keep pushing the envelope because the NRL never come down on them. And I mean I, I understand I'm saying this from the perspective of a club that also cheated the salary cap. So let's just put that aside. The fact that both our teams have cheated the salary cap. But in terms of on field play, Melbourne have always abused the rules. You know, they've introduced so, they I was just gonna say they introduced every grubby wrestling tactic that, you know, yeah. that that has infiltrated the game. Um, at what point do their priors become, you know, too big to ignore and the NRL has to make an example of them for this sort of stuff? Evidently not today.
2: No. Yeah. It just shows now, um Well, to stop a game and stop a momentum and win a game, it's going to cost you a thousand bucks. Like
0: well, then that, that's, that's already the, the, the discussion point on Reddit, talking about you know pretty much any finals team would trade that sort of fine in order to help. Not say they're going to like it costs paramount of the game because we still had to score twice to take it to golden point. But in order to secure a win that position, every team would trade ten thousand dollars in a, yeah. in a finals game for that sort of scenario.
1: What well, we were second or third tackle with a quick play of the ball
0: mm. against it, a 12 man. It
1: should have been a penalty. Because uh, Brendan Smith was holding on to, uh, I'm not sure who it was, but would not let him play the ball.
2: Yeah.
1: And was pointing at Vernavalu. Well, Well, yeah. first of all, it's a penalty because it's the referee that makes the decision to call time off. So that should have been a penalty, which it, it wasn't for some reason because well, it's Storm and Ashley Klein. But maybe, I don't know, maybe something they could look at is, like in football, if a player goes down with an injury, if they Get treated. They have to go off the field until the referee calls. Like maybe they have to sit at that defensive set.
2: Yeah, that's 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 actually a smart idea because how else how else can you like police it? Like it's just there goes the advantage and like and we're not talking like ten or twenty yards within the playable. This guy was 40, 50 yards away. Like yeah. it's that's that's they have to look at doing something about it because it's 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 beyond stupid how this, like teams are doing it blatantly. They're just. Finding out what they can push the boundary and it's just yeah it's it's ruining the game essentially.
1: When we played the Tigers, I noticed every time we got either a scrum down their end or a goal on dropout, one of their players went down injured.
0: Yeah, that that was particularly yes. And once again, this isn't to say the Eels have been innocent in any sort of shenanigans throughout the course. Oh of no, every of team does it. But yes, and so we're we're not like throwing the stone free of sin here. But yeah, it's something that the NRL needs to address on a on a every club basis. And I can't offer an elegant solution like Cam was saying. Um, with the, you know, take the player off the field. I'm sure that there's going to be scenarios in hypothetical where that's going to cause issues there. So I don't know what the best in game answer is, but all I can say is that, you know, prevention's the best form or better than the cure, right? So if the NRL comes down aggressively on teams and finds the shit out of them and, you know, and, you know, potentially ends up suspending points or, you know, putting, cap, you know, minor cap restrictions on them, that's, that, that, you know, discourages them from cheating the injury protocols.
2: Well, don't they do the same thing with a dropout if someone goes down? When when, you're, when it's your team to do the dropout, if you have a player go down, they can't come back until the set's done or the first tackle's done.
0: You, it you, happened you take you take, drop, yes, you take the drop. Yes, you take the drop out, and then for the first tackle, you're missing the player. Yeah. I believe yes.
2: Because I was storm um, the um Canberra Raiders back th- back in Canberra when uh, the game, what's his name, Hodgson, did his knee. One guy went down and he was out for the uh, for the first tackle. Yeah. Fortunately, Canberra knocked it on, so he came back on straight away. But you know that's that's another time the storm of trying to play like cheat the rules and.
0: Now, I spared Ashley Klein the, the barrel on this particular instance because he was acting within the, the protocols, but there was a couple other occurrences where it wasn't so good. First oh, he's get both barrels for this one, if first, I think. Both barrels. <laughs> so first off, we had him literally coaching Cameron Smith for about 30 seconds to move his feet to allow the Eels to play the ball in a scrum, and instead of penalising the Melbourne Storm for breaching the shot clock, we just had Cameron move your feet, Cameron move your feet, Cameron, Cameron move your feet, Cameron, Cameron move your feet for 30 seconds. So just a complete lack of control in regards to a set restart there. And secondly, we had the challenge. Now, ultimately the challenge benefited Parramatta because the Storm ended up getting it wrong because they they cheated by using the replay on the screen and they thought that Vuneval would play the ball rather than offloading. But throughout the course of the, the season, the NRL's been very strict on you have ten seconds to uh, to challenge. And now there's been a handful of times across the season where the referees have lost track of that. And I think it's featured the storm a number of times actually. But in this partic- in this particular case uh it was a farcical set of circumstances where the referees made a fantastic judgment call in live play to penalize kenny bromwich i believe it was for being um yep. illegally the illegal man in play being offside from the play of the ball and not re establishing himself penalty, yeah. that, that's the old school downtown from the play of the ball penalty that's correct yeah. you very rarely see Parramatta got done by done for a number of years ago and i was Oh, you know, upset an issue, and then you see the replay. You're like, "Wow, that's actually good officiating." And that was very yeah. much, a, very much the case here, where uh, the storm had looked to attack down the left after a Vinavola offload down the right, and Bromwich was mild, uh, significantly in front of the play of the ball uh, that was back on the like 10, 15 meter line. And yeah, the ball came his way, and in, in the referee's ball of penalty, and then <laughs> he took his time to uh, clarify what the penalty was, and it gave the storm about 40 seconds to make the challenge call, and yeah, which was enough time to see the back end of the replay on the big screen which is what encouraged them to make the challenge incorrectly. It's just Why, they,
2: why are they showing a replay in the first place? In the, what, why do you need a replay of a penalty call if you're in the crowd? Like, okay, replays for tries or knock-ons, but why do you need a replay? Like, I don't understand.
0: I mean, it's been part of the game day experience for a long time. It, it, it depends on venue to venue as to how much of a replay you'll get because sometimes they don't show replays whatsoever. But evidently at Suncorp, they they showed the like, close to the full replay of that set of events. But, Yeah, it's just inconsistent officiating. But
2: what does what does the crowd get out of it? Like I understand the people in the bunker need the replay, but or you know, well why does the crowd like I don't get how like if I'm at the game, how am I benefiting from that? If that makes sense, you know, like
1: and also like what I don't, I don't even remember the, the, the call, but what is how do you like signal downtown? <laughs>
0: you know what I mean? Yeah. I like, like,
1: usually you can like, you know, offside or high tackle or whatever. Yeah. But i um, no, I can't downtown actually. Downtown penalties happen so little. I wouldn't even know what the, the referee signals with his hands.
0: I can't actually remember what Klein did with his hands. I think because he sort of like pointed from one spot to the other, and I don't know if that was him explaining or him doing the actual official indicator that it was the downtown yeah. penalty. So, I mean, like I said, full credit to the touch judge and Klein for getting that right initially. That's an amazing call. But the the follow-up proceedings were an absolute mess, and Melbourne should never have been able to challenge. Um, yeah, so oh, just.
1: Another one. um, Franco Lee just, like, elbowing the back
0: of Sean Lane. Yes, head. and so uh, uh, <laughs> After the, the, 12, the Eels were correctly uh, penalised for a potential eight-point try against the Gold Coast Titans in round two of this season when Nathan Brown uh, slid in with his knees late and got uh, Dale Copley in the ribs. And injury shouldn't be a the deciding factor in these sort of penalties because it's the actual act of foul play that should be separating an eight-point try from a non-eight-point try. And in this case, as you mentioned, uh, Ham, Sean Lane crashes over and he is well into the end goals when Branko Lee drops his knees on his back, and it didn't end up hurting Lane badly. But that's not the, like I said, not the deciding factor in an eight-point try. It was an act of uh, foul play uh, after the process of scoring try or in the process scoring try, and it should have been in a potential eight-point try.
1: Yeah, the thing is, like, it's the same with crusher tackles. It's the same with hip-drop tackles, unless the play, because I've seen so, you know, when the hip-drop tackle became uh, more known about, I was looking for them, and there was some there where, like, You know, it wasn't even picked up by commentary, but it was clearly a hip drop tackle. But because the player got up and played the ball, like nothing was said. So, you know, the storm accused us of laying down earlier. But unless the referee takes notice, you have to lay down to to exaggerate these penalties. Sean Lane, realistic, like obviously he scored, and we want to jump up and play on. But realistically, like for us to get the eight point try, Sean Lane would have had to lay down.
0: Yeah.
2: By Same thing happened it, against it Manly.
0: It completely went missed by everybody. You're going yeah. to say the George Jennings try, Bertie?
2: Yeah, because like yeah. George Jennings, he, he he obviously you can see he's in pain, but he gets up because he has to get back and get the kickoff straight away. So if he stays down, it's an eight point try. We will, we obviously go and tie the game, barring a kick, you know. If we get it, like I get what you mean, Ham. It's just yeah. it's yeah. I was going to say, you
0: do you want to close out the discussion of the game on a positive? Or we want to talk about the six against.
2: Uh, oh, I just a want to say, there's a, there's a fuckwit on Twitter. Sorry, there's, there's Nitty on Twitter. He's a Sharks fan. And he, like, he's, you can tell when you're trying to have a Twitter uh, Twitter debate, you know, I'm, I'm not pro. I'm a semi-pro, sorry. You, have a, you, have a, you, have a, you can use stats, but don't be so plain and just look at the numbers. Like, obviously, he didn't watch the game because he, he tells us, or Parramatta, the the penalty count and the set restarts were fairly even. I'm like, go back and watch when they got their t- um when they got their set resets. Like, so a future lesson: if you're gonna talk shit on Twitter and you're gonna use stats, at least watch the game because <laughs> numbers numbers don't lie, but numbers don't paint um, a different picture image. You know, like
0: figures don't lie, but liars figure is the, um, yeah, the saying same I've heard. Just-
2: it's just so str- and it pissed me off. And then there's another Storm fan chick. She's like cheering, saying, Oh, they played their real team now. Like we, we played the full strength team and they can't handle it. Listen here, Georgina two, whatever her name is, Georgia two. The <laughs> listeners a on the pod that will know who I'm talking about. we oh, We were know. missing we're missing a few players and we only beat us by twelve points. And like I don't get like I just don't get the Storm fans piss me off. They're so arrogant, they know that. <laughs> They, they've had the biggest, they've had the, the most leg, up, leg ups in the history of the NRL, and yet they're so blatant to it. And they're like, oh no, they don't want to admit it. Like I feel guilty when we went off a dodgy call. Like I get, I tweet, I'm like, man, this is dodgy as AF, and they don't even do anything about that. Like it's just <laughs> you'll you're, you're turn the rant. So
0: and I was just gonna say the big takeaways if we're going to ignore the the six again discussion, which I think we've we've covered in depth across the course of this season, it's probably not worth retreading that ground because it is, it's an exercise in frustration. I agree, Ham. The, that's the the TLDL, TL, too long, didn't listen, is fuck six against. They're just, hypothetically, they're, they're a cool tool to use in the game to open it up, but just they're not executed correctly. But what I
1: was going to get to- you don't, you don't need that many words, man. It's just one word. <laughs> fuck. Fuck them.
0: Oh, <laughs> well, yeah. Use the hyphen, fuck them. Exactly. Oh, a boshy <laughs> rubber. Um, in the end, it was a very positive showing for the Pan Materials. They reignited their attack. Uh, they really challenged Melbourne throughout the course of the 80 minutes. And, um you know, you, you talk about making steps and, and closing the gap. They certainly did that. So the question will be whether they can harness that momentum into this week. But even so, I think psychologically it was a step forwards for the Eels because um, invariably in the past Melbourne have sort of not just beaten them but you know crushed them by in the odd outlier game. So they made progress and that's a very good thing. Anything else boys,
2: oh I thought we were the um us and obviously Rich's were the best
0: team. To, well, that's, the best that's best what of the week. that's yeah. what we're going to get to now. We'll go around yeah. the NRL. Um, starting yeah. on Friday night, we had the minor premiers, the Penrith Panthers, hosting the reigning and back-to-back premiers, the Sydney Roosters. And um, this was uh, really set the tone for the, the week one of the finals, didn't it? Because it was a high-scoring but close affair. And 29-28, um, the Penrith Panthers prevailed. It was a seesawing encounter. Roosters raced out to the um early lead 10-0. And, and what really set the trend as well um, for the rest of the games, first try scorers in every game ended up losing. Yeah. <laughs> ham-
1: Is that ham- every game this weekend the team that raced out to a lead lost?
0: Yes, yeah, that uh, every team sort of uh, got a early two try lead I believe end up losing. Um, but yeah, did anyone watch this game and care to share details? Or are we sort of you know pen kind of sort of who they are, who we thought we are, and um, same with the Roosters.
1: I didn't watch the game. I was playing, you <laughs> know, like because I, I hate, I can't stand to watch them that much. But if they only beat the Roosters by one point, with the Roosters mis- <laughs> uh, having um. Jake Friend out. Tell you what, I think they're very lucky that Jake Friend was out because he's worth six to 12 points for the Roosters.
0: Yeah, it was an entertaining game um, and, you know, defense sort of optional, which was the story of the entire weekend, really. And um, that's going to be one of our discussion points later on uh, in the news. But yeah, I think Penrith sort of acquitted themselves fairly well. Um, They would have been a little bit embarrassed to, to bleed the late points they did after getting out to the big counter lead. After the Roosters got out to that 10-0 lead, the the Panthers hit back big time and look like they're going to blow the Roosters out. But yeah, I think the Panthers the week off will be uh, happy, but they're going to be without the services of Kikau, who, as the um, judiciary just updated, ended up losing his fight for a dangerous throw charge. So they will be playing the winner of our game and the Rabbitohs um, without the services of Viliama Kikau. Um, In the curtain raised to our game, we had the... Canberra Raiders hosting the Cronulla Sharks. This one was more uh, lopsided on the scoreboard with the Raiders winning thirty-two to twenty on the back of a, a Jack White and masterclass. Sharks were courageous and and tried them out to comeback late in the piece, but just didn't have the the juice or the artillery. Missing a number of key players and not just like really not matching up to the the Canberra Raiders across cru- uh, crucial positions.
2: Um, yeah, I thought um. Once again, another game marred by some sh- some questionable calls. Yeah, so there was Rianne. talks yeah. about the
0: the captain's challenge um, not being used correctly, or you know they tried to use it incorrectly, which allowed the Canberra to facilitate a quick tap for Jack White and a score. So it turns out that the, the rate, yeah, the the Sharks were trying to challenge incorrectly, and um, I don't know whether the ref should have better clarified before letting the quick tap happen. But um, there was yeah some other you know 50-50 calls that sort of went the shot uh, against the Sharks rather. Um, Ham, how did you see it? I didn't. He didn't?
1: Okay. No, I was, again, That's I had fair family That's over, fair so
2: we were playing cards and, we learned a lesson from this game as well. If you don't want the opposition to challenge the thing, uh, challenge the call, take a quick tap because, yes, as the referee explained, there's like three elements. I don't know. He pulled it out of his ass or some shit, like how he knew what to what, like what was the procedure. Um, you can't challenge it. A, discretion, the a discretionary. A quick, ruck. So,
0: exactly. yeah. The big sticking point was you, you cannot challenge a discretionary ruck call, um, which was what the basis of, of denying the challenge was. And then the Raiders obviously took a quick tap mm-hmm. in between there, which allowed them to score against a, a disorganized Cronulla defensive line as they were walking forward to talk to the ref.
2: So, um, so if I'm Brad Arthur this week, I'm going to be telling, all right, trainers, stick your hand out for anything. Yeah, exactly. Sword, sword, not, take quick taps on
0: contentious decisions.
2: Yeah. yeah take, if, even if we get a penalty on the one, on the, uh, one middle line, take, take a quick tap. Don't let <laughs> and challenge it. But yeah, it's just... I, I thought this that game that was going to be the ultimate like comic justice for resting your players the week before. No, instead and the n- Raiders n- the respect. Raiders notched yeah. up
0: the double. They they took Cronulla yeah. Sharks back to back. Yeah, and uh,
2: but um, week of- Sharks it just shows you man how they made the like they were six points behind seventh place I believe it was like they're just they're ten points behind us like they I were know,
0: definitely the fodder team in the finals. Yes, oh, they, they Jesus went, Christ, they linked yeah. in and um, gave, you know, I do wonder if Canberra's decision to sort of, they, they were expecting to seed the spot anyway, so finishing fifth wasn't a bad result for them. They got the mm. beat, up, beat up on a, a softer team and get geared up for a big game against the Roosters. anyway Hey, they,
2: w- what happened to us last year? We beat up on the soft team. Yeah, and true. And out. true and got found
0: out. And that's, that's a fair point, yeah. Bertie. Uh, the yeah. week one, the finals closed out with the, the Bunnies hosting the Knights and as with the other games, Knights raced out to a two-try lead and then didn't do much for the rest of the game. They end up getting blown out 46-20 to 20 as the Rabbitohs continue to stay hot. Um, Their offense obviously catching the eye of pundits across the game. Um, they're going to be our opponents this week, which we'll get to shortly. But, yeah, um, how did you see this one, Bertie? I don't know if Ham ended up catching this one. I'm just going to assume you didn't. Uh,
2: to be honest, I didn't see I saw, like, that- I saw a bit every now and then because I was I had I had family over so I was yeah. I was manning the barbecue so I saw probably ten seconds here and there but like I was getting updates like Knights hit the lead I'm like okay but then when I came when it was done I was like shit they've got flogged like
0: yeah I was I was watching this game early on until it sort of got obvious that it was going to be a blowout um, the, the real big thing for me was there was some really nice backline movement from the bunnies which is not to be unexpected I suppose um, including a, a great little uh, bit of subtlety off a, a block play where they shaded to the block on the right, but they had the, the second half loop around from behind and create this like under block, which the defense hadn't accounted for. So it was a nice little bit of deception from the Bunnies. Um, thankfully, it's on tape for this week, so we can be cognizant of it at the very least. But yeah, they, they continued to stay hot, like I said, offensively, uh, got strike power across the park, but I suppose it would be on teams to challenge them through the middle and stop them from being able to shift the ball uh, at will uh, on the back of a, a platform.
2: Do they do they scare you guys? Like in terms of, I like, mean, are you they, they scare me. This week?
0: They well, we'll we'll discuss it more shortly. But yeah. they, they scare me in the sense that if we if we see heavy possession to them, they're going to put us to the sword because they've yeah. got the strike power across the park. So we have to make it a battle through the middle and in the possession stakes. But um, their their win over the it was a, a sixty six point aggregate score. So their win over the Knights secured what was the um, all time highest scoring week one of the finals in NRL history. Um, we had twenty nine twenty eight. We had 32-20, 36-24, 20, and 46-20. So a lot of points were put on. Defense was optional. Lots of electrifying attack, and um, I suppose it was indicative of a, a season where defensively teams were a little bit rusty for a, a good portion of it. So it made sense that if the finals came by, everyone lit it up an attack, and defense took a, a second seat.
2: It's truly the finals the NRL wanted like, high scoring games. And this, this is a,
0: this has always Thank been a point guys. of contention across multiple codes. Is There's a push to often rules wise and and broadcast wise, there's a push to score points because points are perceived to be what gets attendance and and broadcast ratings up. And if that's the case, then Fox and Channel 9 and and KO and all the different subsidiaries would be laughing this week because surely this corresponds to the biggest NRL finals viewing of all time, right? Yeah,
2: surely it's. I'm expecting the grand final to be 64 to 60 or something like that. We're talking, it's Um, like as if. It's like NYC days, like the old school NYC days, where literally every game was. Yeah. If you don't score more than twenty-four points, no, you're not
0: winning. No day. lead is safe. No mm. defense is capable enough. Points are king. Now that's well, there the
1: would um, be very few players currently playing in the NRL that didn't come up through the uh, Toyota or Holden Cup. Mm,
2: mm.
0: Um, that rounds out the general NRO news. There is a relevant piece of Parramatta news this week, which I, I was talking of Ham, and I don't think we discussed in the podcast last week. But uh, from the North Queensland Cowboys, which has been a pretty happy hunting ground for us last year, of big Andrew Davey doing all right for us, uh, Tom Operchick, uh, a utility back but specialising in centre, will be joining the Eels allegedly on a one year deal, as per Pete Bedell of the Courier Mail. Um, Opechik was uh, pretty useful for the the Cowboys in his tenure there. Comes from the Broncos originally. And I think quite a few Cowboys fans preferred him as one of their first-choice centres throughout the course of the season, but uh, Paul Green preferred to go with the mercurial Ethan Masters instead. So Opechik will give us some flexibility in the back line. And you know, given how things have played out this year, he'll be a legitimate challenger to, to the week one starting role for centre, perhaps.
1: Oh, that's, you know, with the way things have panned out over the course of 2020, despite us finishing third, I think there's... Um, potentially two players
0: in the back line that I think we all know who they are, that um, maybe even
1: three players in the back line potentially who Yeah,
0: depending how people shake up injury-wise across the off-season um, and how many miles are on the tyres and how it's impacting them, you could have up to three spots in the back line up for grabs for sure.
1: So, you know, if, if he or um, any young players coming through that have a big pre-season and impressing in the trials, I think there's definitely a couple of spots that, for me, at least two, potentially three. Mm. um Sivo Wanga Blake Ferguson I think those you know Fergo's just he still tries very hard it's just the injuries they're catching up to him the fluid on the knee I think is injured him massively um Sivo just, just seems to be afraid of contact and then everyone knows Wanga Blake's defensive issues and um attacking issues there um so yeah Tom or if any other young player definitely a spot for them and um yeah good on it he's he's Bit of a big boy. He? He's about six two or
0: something. Isn't I believe he's yeah six two six three and and you know fairly well built Um and just a, a good competent all around player. I don't think he's a particularly dominant attacking player or outstanding defensive player, but he's just well rounded. Which you know you can always have those guys fitting into your top thirty nicely.
2: We need competition in the back line because you know Ham said is afraid to get caught, hurt. Maybe he thinks he's the number one winger and like. I'm just speculating, like, it, it doesn't hurt to have a competition. Like, if you look back at the – when we had competition, the hooker ranks, like, Kevin Kingston kept Matt Keating honest, us, and like, I just feel as though, realistically, you know, um, Jennings are, is our backup winger. Who, who's after that? Like, so we – and, like, for centers as well, like, who's our backup center? So we really do need – not we need quality competition. And I think he'll – and if I recall, I think he's more of a, a – on the defensive side. Like, he's more defensive center as opposed to – um, An attacking one, like he's more solid in defense, like similar to Jenko is now mm-hmm.
1: in his career. So, so yeah,
0: the, the first official recruit for 2021, if I'm not mistaken, for Parramatta.
1: Unofficial.
0: Well, first officially unofficial, yes. <laughs> as we love as we love the Parrot and the Parrot podcast, the official unofficial podcast of the Parramatta Reels. Um, now, it would be remiss to me before we join, jump into our preview for the week two of the finals, not to mention that the NRLW started this week or last week rather, and we had uh, two results given that there's only four teams. The Sydney Roosters defeating the St. George and Laura Dragons 18-4. And the Brisbane Broncos defeating a spirited New Zealand Warriors outfit 28-14. Um, so this, this is a free week round robin competition, as we saw last year. Um, they're you know, trying to grow the product, but it's kind of difficult when there's a COVID outbreak and all that sort of stuff. So got four teams again this year um week 2 we'll see the warriors host the roosters and the dragons host the, Dra- the dragons host the dragons the dragons host the broncos and um there'll be a, a week three before we head into the finals so be sure to tune into that um curtain raises for all the, the games obviously um it's been some good uh, good competition and some big hits um the, the women as we know from uh prior uh, fixtures whether it's been in the abbreviated formats they've played or now the 13 side code they do not hold back um they're they're really pushing this um the game forward for themselves and looking to carve out a, a great competition in their own right. All For
1: right. sure. There was um, Charlotte Kazlik come over from Rugby 7. She was very good. And uh, uh, the Dragon's Lock LCL, but she was very good too.
0: Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, be sure to uh, give the support just by watching. You know, you don't have to do anything significant. Just get out there and watch the game on TV. Obviously, you can't. Get, it's probably pretty hard to get out there in person given the COVID restrictions and all that sort of stuff. But, yeah, um, yeah, great to see the girls pushing forward their game. Alrighty, That takes us to the, the main event of this week. Uh, the Parramatta Eagles will be hosting a Week 2 final, which will be the first time they've hosted a Week 2 final since 2017. Isn't that right, Hammond, Birdie? Yep. Yeah, which unfortunately ended with the, the North Queensland Cowboys overrunning them en route to go into the grand final. But uh, as it were, prime time, 7.50 p.m. Saturday, Bankwest Stadium. you got the Parramatta Eels versus the South Sydney Rabbitohs. <clears throat> the Rabbitohs line up as such. Uh, Corey Allen at fullback. Alex Johnston and Jackson Paulo (Jackson spelled incorrectly, as Hamish would point out if he was here. On the flanks, Campbell Graham and Dan Gagai in the centres. The lethal combination of Cody Walker and Adam Reynolds at six and seven. Front row is Damian Cook, bookended by Tevita Tatola and Thomas Burgess. Oh, my phone is ringing and I'm going to hang up. That's...
2: Spread off on well,
0: leaders, it's it's uh, half of Bernie Gur. It's uh, 60s who will be um, speaking with Bernie Goh tomorrow with myself. Put him on the pod. Say hello. Hang, hang on. Let's get him in here one sec. Uh, sorry, my microphone is now bugging out. We'll, we'll come in hot with 60s. So I'm not going to I'm not going to tell him he's on the podcast.
3: Here we go. No, just- here we go. <laughs> sorry, mate. Are you 60,
0: recording? You, you are live on the Power Podcast. So you're going back to that podcast, baby. <laughs> we're, we're, we're just jumping into the um, the NRL preview here for the Week Two final, of Parramatta Eels, and I was Perfect just timing. just getting through the front row of the South Sydney lineup. So we just rattled off Thomas Burgess's name, and I was about to say the only the only Burgess not to attract some controversy in his family yet. But let's uh, let's wait and see if with uh, Thomas because I think the other three have done well for themselves so far.
3: Um, back- I've, heard, I've heard some rumours about him this week. So do you
2: have do you have pictures to the rumours? Asking for a friend. <laughs>
3: Oh, is, that, is that the right Burgess My- brother? Or <laughs> no, I've got I've got full details, mate. I'll uh, I'll be releasing exclusive it to, the to TCT. <laughs> yeah, exclusive to TCT. <laughs>
0: um, but yes, the South Sydney back row lines up as Jaden Su'a, Bailey Sirunen, who's enjoying a breakout year, and New South Wales rep Cameron Murray on the bench. Mark Nichols, Liam Knight, Jed Cartwright, and Kian Kalamatungi will round out their seventeen. Stephen Masters, Hamasele, Troy Dargan, one-time paramedical, that is, and Patrick Mago will be on their shadow bench. For the Eels, uh, Captain Quint Gufferson will be at fullback, as always. George Jennings comes into the team to replace the injured Mike Sivo. He joins, prospectively, Blake Ferguson on the flanks, but we'll get to what we think the back line will look like shortly. Uh, in the centres, you have Michael Jennings and Wonga Blake. In the halves, Dylan Brown and Mitchell Moses, as always. Front row is Reed Money, joined by Reagan Campbell-Gillard and Junior Paulo. Sean Lane, who reclaimed his starting spot in the back row last week with a strong game, is joined by Ryan Madison and Nathan Brown. On the bench, we've got Will Smith, Andrew Davey, Kane Evans, and perhaps a little bit of surprise as Ray Stone has chosen over Oregon Kafusi. Um, Oregon Kafusi is on the shadow bench, however, where he's joined by Brad Takarengi, Hayes Dunster, and Daniel Alvaro. All right, fellas, that's the team lists. Uh, how do we see this one playing out? Sixties, you want to lead off the discussion, mate?
3: Obviously, you're looking at a South Sydney team whose pack is probably outweighs the Parramatta pack when you take into consideration what might be described as a lighter weight, more mobile bench that Parramatta will be taking into the game. And I think that then makes it interesting for how Parramatta will counter that with their, the way they rotate the uh, players with the interchange and I use that word rotate uh, uh, quite deliberately because I just have the sneaking feeling that given what we've seen with Sean Lane in recent weeks where he's moved into the middle that if you're carrying players like uh, Sean Lane on the bench and you've also got uh, Ray Stone who's more of a lightweight middle forward that you're going to aim to keep some size out on the field so that when you have uh, players that are uh, rotated, it might also involve Sean Lane moving into the middle when uh, when Andrew Davey comes onto the field.
0: Mm-hmm. That's an excellent point. And we, we also know about Junior Paul and Reagan Campbell-Gillard are more than capable of being leveraged for extended uh, stints on the field. So I wouldn't be surprised to see Brad Arthur. I, I say run them into the ground in a positive sense because those two players are so talented and the difference when they're off the field is so noticeable that I'm not against you know leveraging them for, for big minutes on Saturday night.
3: Well, if you, haven't got, if you haven't got what I suspect might happen in terms of lane, and I only suspect that because it, Brad Arthur's shown his hand a little bit in recent weeks, that you could just have a three-way rotation for the middle with um, uh, Evans, Paulo, and RCG, mm-hmm. and the three of them playing longer minutes and just rotating amongst the three of them.
0: Now, Hammond, Bertie, my question to you is, we'll start with the interchange bench because the back is probably going to be the major discussion point in general, but Murata Niakore has been suspended for two games for a crusher tackle, which I had no objections to because I thought that was a textbook crusher um, and he you know, he copped the suspension on the chin. But did the Eels try and replicate his role or they try and find something else different for the bench?
1: Uh, yeah, very much clearly different to what Murata brings like. The thing, I look at our bench now, outside of Davey, I'm not sure how attacking it is mm-hmm. because Kane Evans can put on some big runs but They've been few and far between um, in the latter half of 2020. He's sort of been looking for, uh, for lack of a better term, it's the softer option in the offload. Um, Ray, I love Ray Stone, but in terms of attack, um, he's not as as good as he is defensively. Like defensively, he goes up and smashes players. I think he'll, um, when he comes on, our defensive defensive intensity won't be dropping as much um, as it would normally. So I like stony on the bench there. I just yeah, I'm just not too sure about the tag because I look at the South Bench, Mark Nichols, Liam Knight and Koala Matangi, three props there and I'm just looking at ours and we've we've got one and I know uh 60 said that you've got the rotation of lane into the middle. Just not sure how much starting on the edge looking after um he'll be Jaden Sewer, I believe, and then having to move into the middle will affect his performance and um, effective effectiveness in the middle.
3: Would it be possible that he might do a switch like he did a, a couple of weeks ago, where a lane starts from the bench and Andy Davy starts in the back row, and then you have your two middle players coming on with the rotation, like uh, more more along the lines that you might expect, more traditional, uh, either the two or three middles off the bench. I think that would suit us much better.
1: I think that would suit. Um, the game plan probably a little bit better there just because yeah Lane will add a bit of size bit of aggressiveness off the bench in the middle that you know while Davey is a, is a very good edge player I'm just not sure how that would translate into the middle so but yeah Lane on the bench I think I'd prefer that um, given the team that has been named.
3: I think if I was to look at trying to find the positives of, a, of the bench that BA has named I would say that there's an element of flexibility in that he could change the starting lineup in that, in that configuration or he could decide to rotate in that particular way. And if you are looking at, is the game going to suit what is undoubtedly a a much bigger South Sydney pack than the, than a Parramatta pack, is he looking to gain a a different advantage with mobility over size? It's, it's hard to say. I, I, I don't know. I'm I'm just speculating. Is if that's a reason that he's not looking to use either Daniel Alvaro or Oregon Defusi and their size, he's making a statement that it's his preference is to go with Ray Stone for a start. When Ray Stone was really in the uh, position on the bench that Will Smith was occupying, he was that utility. Player. Well, Will Smith is occupying that utility role, and Ray Stone is very much taking on that uh, forward rotation role. Not, not a, uh, not a, a, position where he's going to come on and potentially play in dummy half. That's now Will Smith's uh, bag. So, uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting way of, of of the bench being structured this week, and I wonder whether. It's, it's something that he feels is forced on him or whether it's something that he's looking at tactically.
0: Yeah, and obviously the platform through the middle is going to be crucial with the Panamateros to compete. And, um, you know, that, as much for us offensively, it is for to deny Souths defensively when they're in possession. Um, but the area where I suppose the, the flashy parts of the game are going to be played is out wide. And South Sydney, we know, are a prolific attacking team on both edges. Um, and, you know, Parramatta have, have blood points on the edges throughout, or at least one edge throughout the course of the season. But in a way, they got a great curtain raiser to the South Sydney offense last week with Melbourne coming at them hard and fast down both flanks. So how do you see the battle out wide playing out, boys?
1: I think if we have the same mindset defensively as we did against South, as we get against the Storm, hopefully um, better front-on contact. But if we have the mindset that, you know, we have to scramble regardless of what happens is, like, especially uh, Alex Johnson out on that side, he's very fast, like Adokar, um, both play left se- uh, left wing there. Um, you know, at all costs, the winger on that side has to keep him, you know, uh, under wraps, pretty much. It's, it's, yeah. I don't think Sousa is quick as the Storm, both um, in terms of leg speed and in terms of the play skill, but Cody Walker can... He can do some things, I think, that are better than the uh, halves and fullback of the Storm.
0: Yeah, Cody Walker, when he's on song, is an absolutely devastating attacking player, isn't he? And I think limiting his influence will probably be more important than that of Damian Cook.
3: Uh, when we were hammered by the Rabbitohs earlier uh, early in this season, well, in the, in the I suppose it was still the latter half of the season, all the damage was created in the middle of the field where there – those players, the, the likes of Cody Walker and Reynolds, were allowed to drift. They were allowed to link up with outside yeah. players. So mm-hmm. the, the lack of defensive intensity started in the middle with Parramatta and it spread outwards. And although it looked absolutely horrific with the outside backs that night, it started well and truly in the middle of the field that night. So if if the middle does their job, and the back rowers do their job, then you're going to have less issues out wide. Definitely, we've had concerns with the, the defensive decision-making of Wanga Blake. But when the, when the Parramatta pack does their job, there's less of those opportunities for, their, for the opposition to throw Parramatta's way. And Ham made a point just before about the, uh, the uh, scrambling defence, and I made a similar point last week. Your scramble in defence against these top teams is almost as vital as your organised aspect of your defence and taking your man because it's moments where that last minute stretch out and trying to do your utmost to stop a try is just as important as making that one-on-one tackle. When Parramatta played the Storm back in uh, uh, just a few rounds back and it was a 14-0 result, think back to... The, it was a weakened storm outfit. But the number of times they stopped what looks like looked like certain eels tries, just competing all the way to the line. Even that one where I can't remember which storm player it was, but Michael Jennings was literally placing the ball Brandon down Smith. over the line. Brandon, Brandon Smith, Smith, man. Smith, that's it. And moments like that can be match turners in games. Absolutely. So, so I'm looking. I'll be looking for as much from the middle. And the scramble, as as much as I am about the decision making on the edges and out wide,
0: it's it's worth considering as well. That uh, Brent Reed reported on NRL 360 that the Eels back line will most likely shake out as Wonga Blake on the right wing, uh, George Jennings on the left wing. Is that correct, Sixties?
3: That's what he said. Yeah,
0: uh, is that uh, I know he said Michael Jennings at right centre, Brad Tackering at left centre. And I believe George Jennings, left wing, along Blake right wing. I could be mistaken about the wingers, though. So the, yeah. the initial indication from the reporters is that the Eels are training as if Blake Ferguson won't play, which is not shocking considering how he left the field. And I know they said it was only a, a re-injury of existing or pre-existing conditions of his knee. But I imagine that we're going to go on to Saturday night's game without the services of Fergo. So it's probably best to assume that offensively and defensively line up that way in the back line, which leads me to my next question – um, as much as half the game is about taking away from South's strengths, and we've spoken about their, you know, negating them through the middle on the platform, and then trying to blunt their weapons, starting off Cody Walker out wide. Parramatta also have to play to their strengths. Um, so, how do we see our boys matching up offensively to the South City pack, or South City pack and backline, Bertie? Where do you think we can win the game with the ball in hand?
2: Oh, I, I think uh, Gufferson and Reed have to follow the likes of Junior and Reg Just, just. Be on them like a bad smell. Like we have to <laughs> promote. To it. Yeah, we have to promote second phase football. And I just think with with the footwork of those two, um, we can sort of scare South because they're they're not very good um, with moving sideways laterally. Like I think we can scare them with a bit of footwork. And um, like I know offensive, you asked for offensively, but I think defensively we have to get them on their backside every single time. And maybe that's probably why. Maybe that's a reason Ray Stones in the team because every time he's tackling someone, it's his. It's like he's his God-given mission to get the guy on his backside. He's always on the legs, always trying to get him on his backs on their back. So I just want um, our players to to literally put them on the ground and give us, give us a break. give us a chance in our defensive line, but yeah, um, maybe our markers have to work a bit better. Try and make Damien cook pass instead of run, because if you take the run game out of him, it's that's one weapon they don't have. So Put pressure on him, let him get rid of the ball quicker. Like sort of like an NFL. Make sure that make the quarterback pass it back in sacks. So yeah.
3: So, Bertie, what what you don't want to see this week, Bertie, is um, a repeat of the Kane Evans when he first came on the field and allowed uh, that that offload from Munster. We didn't, we
0: didn't even talk about that on the review of last oh, week because it, it was it yeah. was too too brutal a wound for me. But yes. That was it's, soft. We can't afford that sort of laxness from Kane or anyone, but especially Kane, who's been guilty of it probably three or four times out of the last five or six five or six games. I'd say he's um, definitely yeah. dev- definitely struggled with concentration lapses in defence. And South Sydney will absolutely take any sort of opportunity provided to him in that regard. If we have anyone afford it to him,
3: and yeah, where yeah. where that becomes. Where that becomes a little bit upsetting is we know the level of aggression that Kane Evans can bring. My goodness, the bloke was sent to the sin bin for for tackling too aggressively last year. (laughs) So there was a a mild difference between the sort of hits that he can put on and his mild attempt at wrapping up Cameron Munster last week. So, yeah, as I said, obviously, B, you don't want to go down that path of players missing their assignment and not finishing off their opposition when they go in to make contact make full contact knock knock the bastards down
2: yeah i'd I'd rather give a penalty for tackling a guy like if the referee say held and tackling to the ground as opposed to lazy market defense you know because a quick play ball i'd rather that penalty because at least we're getting them down on the ground because you know and over time over the the course of the game, they're going to be tired for constantly getting up. So, like we did it well on the weekend to Nelson and South Like I don't recall a quick play the ball from him. I, rec- you know, I saw a few tackles where he was literally put on his backside on, on his side. So, yeah, I'd rather take a, rather take a penalty there than, uh, than Damien Cook shooting out dummy half and tearing us up. You know, so
3: yeah, I think Melbourne Storm got their quick play the balls with rolling the ball between their feet rather than using their. Uh, rather than using the foot to roll the ball back, but that's a whole other matter. We start to get into how the other teams are adjudged by the uh, man out in the middle. But, um, yeah, I won't open that can of worms here on, on your pod, no, boys.
1: The uh, the play the ball was a crackdown two years ago. You can't you can't expect them to hold it up. Two months later, let alone two Even years. Even
0: when later. they're out there screaming, use your foot, use your foot, and they roll it, and there's no penalty. Uh, it's uh, the NRL. We, it's special. It's special. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it's, a, it's a great soap opera, isn't it? The greatest soap opera in the world. I think it was put um, earlier in the week, heading into the finals. Um, By yourself, wasn't it? Uh, I think I was. I was. Um, I was um, <laughs> parroting Parody. uh, parroting something else, but it, it's a very fitting line, isn't it? Um, is there anything else? I think, boys, before we move on to our predictions. I mean, obviously, we got the wounds of the, the 38-0 loss last time, but as we've shown with the Melbourne game, the, the pass doesn't seem to impact the Eels as much in the finals this year as it has not in, in prior seasons, I'd say.
1: No, I think, I just, just quickly, on the way we can win this one in attack, Reid Marnie, I reckon, the, the play this week. I saw early on when we were on top against the Storm, Reid was jumping out of dummy half, Moses was running. He was using that little sway that we use where we've Fain to go to the outside, step back off on, on the outside foot to go back inside, and a little short ball. I think if Reed can um, get Cook at marker and maybe even Murray at marker, prefer- preferably first marker, I think there'll be a bit of space in there just behind the ruck where uh, Totola and Burgess will be defending early on. Um, I think Reed can jump out of dummy half there, have our six and seven following for short balls just around, right in behind the ruck, you know, even if it's Brownie. Even if it's Nathan Brown, you know, right in behind the ruck there, shoe short balls between the forwards. I, I think you know early on we can open them up and then just try and sustain that dominance um, for th- at least
3: the first half. Good, cams.
0: No, no, Good way to wrap it up, eh? He's
3: he's wrapped it up nicely. Yeah.
0: All right, well, let's move on the predictions, and we've got 60s here. We'll save him for last this week. So I'm um, leading it off, Birdie. Hit us with your first try scorer and the margin, mate.
2: Oh, I'm gonna go. Hang on, I'm just gonna do a quick weather check. Tim Bailey. Got
0: to, what, <laughs> no, you, Tim Bailey's not the weatherman anymore.
2: Well, he's, oh, okay. he well, He's, he's, been he's the off. only weatherman. He's, Bailey Tim, is that all right? I know
1: who. What was the one on Sunrise?
2: Noola. is <laughs> the be
0: getting called. Ask Nula. <laughs> I don't watch.
3: Alan Woolley. Uh, Alan Woolley. All right, we're gonna put Woolley. Brian Deary.
0: Look at the, the man is producing Weatherman out of his backside. What a, what an asset the TCT. I swear
1: that's why he's sixties and where I'm
0: nineties. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, Bertie, you got your weather report? Uh, yet?
2: Yeah, yeah. It's just it's going to be sunny, so uh, nothing to change. Um, I'm thinking Parramatta going to win nineteen twelve, and first try scorer. I'm going to go with George Jennings. I think he is going to not repeat his efforts against Manly and knock it on the first play, but he's going to score off the first play. His first touch. So that's gonna be a big bold prediction, but um, <laughs> I just feel as though we're gonna we'll start like last week, and hopefully you know just like horse racing, you know first up you're a bit, bit weary, you know you probably don't got much um uh, oxygen in the lungs, and second up you're gonna be prime, and I think second up we can sustain the performance and our intensity for the whole eighty minutes, provided we don't um, knock it on because we know Souths they're a very high completion rate team. Like when they first started, they had what two errors I think three errors, so. I feel as though we'll get revenge and, um, yeah. Can't play your grand final twice in in a year. So, Souths, you played your grand final earlier. Bad luck this week.
0: (laughs) I like it. Ham, what you got, man?
1: First try score, Regan Campbell-Gillard.
0: Ooh, spicy. I like it.
1: I believe he'd be like Nathan Brown, $151. So I might put a dollar on it. (laughs) Dollar (laughs) each way. (laughs) Um, As for score predictions, I will go Parramatta 42 South Sydney thirty.
0: I like I, I like that. I was actually going to make not the same prediction, but in the same ballpark in terms of the finals this week of this year. So far, have just been so high scoring that I wouldn't be surprised to see another you know cumulative sixty plus effort.
1: It'd be it'd be ironic if it was a low scoring
0: game, <laughs> a slugfest. Yep. <laughs> 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 All right. Now speaking of gritty defensive efforts, we've got the uh, the man himself, sixties. What are you you going to say for first try scorer and overall uh, scoreline for Saturday night?
3: I'm flying in with the coat hanger, the big stiff arm. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I'm going to, well, first of all, I'm going to go a bit broad with the first try scorer. I'm going to say it's going to come from the spine. And if you need me to pick one of the spine, I'll go with Gutho as the first try scorer. Mm. But not going to be surprised if it's one of the spine because I think we might crack them up through the middle early on and uh, other ham sports, so I'm... Yeah, natural Natural
0: support runners there would be your spine members, so that makes sense.
3: Yeah, yeah. And I see a 13-plus win to the Parramatta Reels, despite having a few obstacles their way. I think it makes a big difference being at Bankwest Stadium, and if I was to go for a score, I will nominate 30 to 14.
0: I like it, I like it. Yeah, well... I'm going to round out the um the uh, some call it the Pokies curse and whatnot. But if you're listening to this podcast and you're not expecting everyone to be tipping Parramatta this week, then you're nuts. So I'm, I'm definitely backing the Parramatta win. First try scorer, I'm going Quentin Gufferson. Um, I, I feel like he's going to be, as Birdie would say, hanging around like a bad smell. Um, he's going to be li- like looming up in support all over the park, and I just think that he's going to be in the right place at the right time to open up the the points. And uh, in terms of Parramatta's victory, I'm going to go 34 to 18. I think it's going to be relatively high scoring. I wouldn't. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if somehow it's a slug Dal- uh, slugfest. You know, that's just how sports play out. All signs point to a million points being scored, and instead the two teams grind out um, an absolute uh, epic on the other side of things. But yeah, I mean, like I said, if, if you're not expecting us to be tipping Parramatta here, you're crazy. Yes, South Sydney are favourites with the bookies. Yes, they won the last game 38 0 but that's not what finals are about. Um, you know, it's about the romance. It's about the story. It's about you know chasing the glory against all odds, and I think Parramatta are in a position to win this week. So on that bombshell, I think it's a pretty good place to start wrapping up. You've always got anything you want to discuss this week? I know, but
1: I just want to say, I just want to say while I've got both of you here, sixties um, and forties, that I like the longer um, podcasts of the tip sheet because on Mondays I drive down to Mossvale, so it's an hour and a half down. Um, it's good company. So
0: looking after the working class man. I love the, I love to hear that. 60s, um, you going to, go.
3: to oh, Well, first of all, I'll um, I'll confirm my postal address with you after they uh, <laughs> <laughs> so can send out, send out those vouchers for me. Um, what was it? The five dollars off the roast chicken? Is that the that the what we're going with this year? <laughs> <laughs> I think so. Um, <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, I'll. I think we'll go with uh, telling some old football stories then this week, 40, just to <laughs> yeah. take it from the hour. Soak, the up, hour. soak up
0: the clock. Yeah, yeah.
3: well, we'll take, that should take it from an hour
0: 15 to an hour 16. Like, like a silly Arcee Vinavalu cramp, we'll know how to wind up the clock with a good old story.
3: <laughs> when is the West Tigers <laughs> Basham
2: episode?
0: <laughs> you know what? I'm sure you, that'll be you a big and, hit on Twitter. You and Sixties could do an amazing uh, West Tigers roast, I reckon. You, you, between the two of you, you'd have enough material to go for a couple of hours. Oh,
3: I Number nine. Number nine.
0: Oh goodness! Um, <laughs> but yeah, sixties. Uh, you got anything big that you want to talk about before we jump off?
3: No, as I said, I'll be leaking all that uh, Burgess stuff to the <laughs> here on Friday. So
0: now, um, in in absence of Hamish, we'll um, celebrate um, Ham and Hamish's Packers moving up to four and zero on the season um the the Cowboys on Birdie Bertie ca- capitulated to the Cleveland Browns um, and so uh,
2: Bertie's left the chat Yeah, so. Bertie has left the chat and
0: <laughs> and somehow you're still just outside first place in your division so it's not all lost yet
2: I don't want to win the division man I want a high draft pick <laughs> cuz <'Cause so>, like <laughs> if you look at it um we get the, right now we we're scheduled to get the 6th pick right and yet Philadelphia will be will getting the 19th pick. Now, yes, come probably. on, that's a big like – I'd rather have the high draft pick because we've got plenty of stuff to fix. Like,
0: True, that's fair. Uh,
2: it's, just- it's
3: lacrosse. Are we talking about lacrosse? Yeah,
0: lacrosse. <laughs> but, yes, um, we, we tend to wind up our podcast of NFL discussion given that
3: oh, you know, everyone's
0: okay. got a vested interest now and, and Ham technically has a vested interest in the Green Bay Packers as well. So,
1: oh, no, I was just going to say I'm glad I don't follow a sport that doesn't have a, a draft because I just don't. I couldn't
0: do I, it. I, I say this as a, a fan of both uh, formats of junior development drafts. Drafts are exciting for their own reasons, but it, I don't forget to work of in all the way that the system's been brought up and the history in the game. So, yeah, anyway, my Seahawks also improved the 4-0, and which was great. Um, and, yeah, and I think we had the uh, Miami Heat managed to prevent the uh, the shutout birdie. Uh, Jimmy yeah, Butler with the forty point yeah. forty point triple triple-double um, putting yeah. the team on his back. A little bit of um banter for lebron james throughout the course of that game which is always good to see then lebron walks off before the game's finished um so lots of um drama in the nba and um beyond that i think baseball's going through its second round of finals unfortunately the uh, the astros got up against the oakland a's in the first uh first of their games in their best of five or seven i never keep track of that but yeah so lots of sport around the world um but yeah we're here at the para podcast we're just happy to be in week two of the finals and i'm um, looking to
3: And just before you before you wrap it up, mate, you mentioned vested interests. Um, Parramatta is now out to thirty-one dollars to win the comp. Would you like me to put a few dollars on that? Now, put the five-dollar chicken. Is this is is this
0: a case of the '60s curse, like (laughs) inverting and like being the the reason for success? Um, I'm I'm not against you, Uh, given that it's sudden death football. I think uh, I'm happy to veto my. My uh, complaints about you betting on the Eels now, so you have my <laughs> my blessings to go out and, and get on it. And anyone that's listening, thirty one dollars for the Parramatta Eels that's pretty good value Consider- thirty one
3: dollars in a sixteen yeah, what, a sixteen competition. Two two
0: wins to get to the big dance, so <laughs> you know, yeah. and and this is against teams that the Eels have either beaten. Uh, well, obviously not South Sydney yet, but talk in terms of ahead have ever beaten or you know know that they can match up with in the um the Storm and the Roosters, so. Yeah, pretty good value. Probably the best value in the remaining top six.
2: Yep. How much are West yep. Tigers paying?
0: <laughs> I don't think you can get odds on there on those sort of ones, Bertie.
2: <laughs> I'll, I'll give you a thousand a one. That, man. Yeah, I'll, you know, I'll take whatever money you want. <laughs> you can write your own
0: uh, yeah, single.
2: It was great to see Hooper yesterday on NRL 360. He was asked, Will the Tigers play semi finals next year? And he said, Probably. Probably pained him that
3: they won't. So. It, was, it was pulling teeth. Out. It was pulling off.
0: teeth out. But yes, he pained him to say that they're still miles yeah. off playing finals.
3: Did he check a uh, supporter website first for the
2: answer? <laughs> 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 uh, oh, goodness. actually, you know what pissed me off, and I'm sure every Eels fan was pissed off. What Dylan Edwards said about he'd rather play South Sydney in the prelim. This we Dylan Edwards? I don't know where you came from, but you're approaching West Tigers level of me. My hatred towards you. Don't talk. Don't disrespect us like that. Okay? He's won nothing. He's had the easy draw. You said the Cronulla Sharks side of the draw, right? So we beat you. We got. We handed you that loss, right? Just remember, you haven't got the invincibles anymore. We beat you, all right? And we're gonna come for you in two weeks'
0: time. Bertie has spoken.
1: That's right, That's Dylan Edwards. I don't care who you are, where you're from.
0: Well, you do care because you hate Penrith.
1: As long as
0: we win. No, I was just trying to make a Savage Garden reference. <laughs> Who you are. All right. <laughs> uh, before we start descending into karaoke, let's wind things up. Thanks for dropping by, guys. And we'll be back. Hopefully, I mean, we'll be back next week for a review of the game, win or loss. But here's to, here's, here's to two or three more podcasts that have both the preview and the review as we march towards that grand final. Thanks for dropping by. Later. See
1: you. Go power. <laughs>